0: Welcome to Ergasia, a podcast of work, faith, theology and economics, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. And welcome to Ergasia. My name is Brendan Byrne, and I have the pleasure of being your host. This is Episode 7, What is Work, Part 5. In this episode we will conclude our exploration of the question, What is Work?, by summarising the various understandings of work which have been under examination in the previous three episodes. From this examination, certain conclusions will be drawn, and ultimately a working definition of work developed. The term working definition should be emphasised. Our exploration of this question has taught us that, if nothing else, any definition of work can only be provisional and conditional. There will always be further understandings to be developed, new dimensions to be taken into consideration but to begin. We started this journey by examining the definition of work developed by the theologian Miroslav Volf. Deconstruction of that definition revealed a number of things. The first is that Volf identified one of the key characteristics of work, its instrumentality. Work exists to serve the needs of the human community and the non-human ecology in which that community is embedded. It does so through the production of goods or states of affairs that meet the needs either of those who are performing the work or of a wider group of people. Work is a means to an end, the end of satisfying human need. Secondly, work properly understood is consistent with the normative value of human dignity. Now let me be clear at this point. This is a conclusion which I draw from Wolff's definition. It is not one which Volf himself argues for. Indeed, Volf explicitly states that we should not associate normative values with our understanding of what work is. However, I believe those values are present in Volf's own definition of work and the characteristics which he ascribes to work. By arguing that work is activity which is honest, purposeful, need fulfilling, methodologically specified, socially oriented, and both socially and ecologically responsible, Wolf in my view is constructing a view of work that is entirely consistent with the normative value of human dignity. Indeed, it would hardly be possible for work to be consistent with human dignity if any of these characteristics were absent. So I'm just going to take the liberty of arguing that we can properly conclude that in so far as the normative value of human dignity is concerned work properly understood is a human activity which is implicitly consistent with that value thirdly wolf's definition and characterization of work means that the instrumental nature of work is both qualified and directed by its consistency with human dignity in other words Work does not fulfil needs simply because such needs exist or because such needs create a demand for a particular product or state of affairs. Rather, the instrumental character of work is geared toward the facilitation of the flourishing of the human community and the non-human ecology. This is an understanding of work that flies directly in the face of the ethos of consumer capitalism, as well as the tendency of capitalism to deform work through exploitation and marginalisation. Activity which is performed under such conditions may be regarded as labour or toil, but from the Christian perspective it is not, properly speaking, work. Instrumentality exists, not of or for its own self, but in service to human and ecological flourishing. David H. Jensen took this exploration of work a step further, when he identified obligation as one of the key characteristics of work. Jensen accepted that work has an instrumental nature, but argued that work is more than a mere means to an end, regardless of how qualified that instrumentality might be by any other considerations. Rather, work was an expression of humanity's relationship with itself and with the non-human ecology of which it was a member. Moreover, this relationship did not exist as expressions of social hierarchy or institutional organisation, but arose from the very demands which coexistence placed upon individuals and the community. These demands are not coercive in nature. Obligation and coercion are not the same. Rather, the obligation of which Jensen wrote describes what it means to be in relationship itself. Relationality is no mere free association, and the other-oriented nature of work is other-oriented, precisely because that's what being in relationship means and requires. It calls upon us to surrender the objects of our desire for the sake of relationship itself, rather than in pursuit of some external self-oriented objective. Jensen argues that work, understood from the perspective of Christian theology, is activity we undertake for the sake of relationship, in obligation to our desire for relational coexistence with others and the wider ecosphere. This understanding of work as the product of relational obligation has a number of consequences. The first is that work is a product of our very relationship with the created order. Humans work precisely because that work is an articulation of our relationship from the environment from which we draw our sustenance, as well as the raw materials for our industrial and creative output. The second is that work is an expression of the relational covenant between God and humanity, and the consequences flowing from this covenant for intra-human relationships. Wealth and the ownership of resources do not exist for the exclusive benefit of those by whom they are owned, nor are human beings or the ecology a resource to be tapped until exhausted. On the contrary, wealth and resources exist to enable even the poorest and the most excluded to enjoy the fruits of human work, as well as guard against either the environment or the human worker from becoming overextended. Covenant relationship is not concerned with merit or any entitlement which assessment of merit might produce, rather it is concerned with inclusivity and abundance for all. The third consequence is that Jensen's identification of work as activity arising from the obligations of relational coexistence locates work not as distinct from and in opposition to rest, but as a fundamental aspect of rest itself. Thus rest in human life is not the cessation of or absence of work, but a necessary part of the totality of work that facilitates refreshment and reorientation of the human person. Human beings are not what we do as work, nor can we achieve full meaningfulness in life as a consequence of work or the achievement which work facilitates. Moreover, work itself must be part of an overall process in which economic relationships are constantly reviewed and reset in order to prevent work from becoming a crippling exercise of unequal power or, if it does, one in which action is taken to rehumanize work through restoration of relationship and the correcting of economic injustice. Finally, we come to the threefold model of work proposed by Darrell Cosden. Cosden, like Jensen, begins with Wolff and accepts the instrumental nature of work. And again, like Jensen, Cosden accepts that work has a relational characteristic, one that is expressive of the demands of coexistence between humans, as well as the existence of humans with a non-human ecology. However, Cosden argues that, instead of existing as competing understandings of work, instrumentality and relationality exist in a dynamic interchange with a third factor, work's ontological nature. By ontological nature, Cosden means that work possesses qualities that make it part and parcel of what it means to actually be human. Without work, whatever else we might be, we would be less than human. Moreover, this ontological nature Existed before work itself became a specifically historical or sociological recognized phenomenon. It was, so to speak, built into humanity. The significance of this ontological character to work is that work, understood in its richest sense, incorporates but also transcends the instrumental and relational dimensions. Being ontological, Work has a value apart from but nonetheless related to instrumentality and relationality. In essence, work's value stems from the fact that it is built into the very fabric of human existence, an existence which itself emerges from humanity's creation in the likeness and image of God. The significance of Cosden's threefold model is that it resists the temptation to try and reduce the complexity of work to a single element or characteristic. In recognising both the instrumental and relational aspects of work and bringing them into dynamic interaction with the ontological character of work, Cosden creates a model of work that is both multidimensional and fluid. Another significant feature of Cosden's model is that it reminds Christians of the dynamic interaction between the life of faith and the realm and reality of work. Indeed, there cannot be any separation of life into public and private spheres with the life of faith contained to the latter. The public world of work is part and parcel of the same network of relationships as the private world of faith, and what we do in private worship is necessarily relevant to and informative of what we do in the public world of work. Ultimately, however, Cosden's threefold model realises a value for work that transcends its mere use value and which resides instead in the very humanity who perform the activity of work and within whom work exists as an ontological reality. Because work is part of what it means to be human, Work is likewise invested with the very dignity which humans themselves obtain from their creation in the likeness and image of God. Thus forms of work which are exploitative, abusive, or economically and socially marginalizing are abuses of the dignity of work and devalue work as a by-product of God's own creative activity. then does this progression through various models and definitions of work leave us? Are we any closer to understanding what work is, or have we just gone around and around in circles for no good purpose? The first thing that is clear is that trying to define what work is, is a hideously complex process that resists deconstructive tendencies. Work as a concept cannot simply be broken down into simplistic categories or categorizations, no matter how much we might try to or prefer or want to do so. Any definition of work that attempts to definitively state that work is X will not only be just plain wrong and not merely insufficient, it will also fail to do honour to the multifaceted and dynamic nature of work itself. We might all instinctively know what work is, or at the least have instinctive notions of what work is, but that does not mean we can easily put that knowledge or those notions into words. Trying to define what work is not only defies our attempts at translation, it is also an exercise on the scale of what the philosopher Kierkegaard called attempting to paint the war god Mars while wearing the armour that made him invisible. Secondly, it is apparent from this complexity that at best all we can hope for is not to define what work is, but to uncover the characteristics that make a particular activity work, as distinct, for example, from play or recreation. But even here we have to acknowledge that our lists of characteristics will always be provisional and conditional. Evolutions in human society and the prioritization of certain forms of human activity will also mean that understandings of work itself will continue to shift and change. Therefore, the characteristics that make an activity work today may not necessarily be the same characteristics that make that activity work a hundred years hence. The third reality to which this complexity alerts us is that the question, what is work, is is capable of multiple interpretations and answers. This is not to say that all such interpretations and answers are equally valid or equally worthy of our consideration. It simply makes the point that, depending on the frame of reference from which the question itself is approached, any number of answers and understandings are possible. This is true not only between worldviews, but within a specific worldview itself. What I regard as a Christian definition of work may be regarded by other Christians as nothing of the sort. That third point also brings us to a fourth, that no matter how difficult it might be to do so, in order to construct a Christian theology of work, we must first develop a Christian understanding of what work is. That understanding must necessarily proceed from who Christians understand God to be, how the relationship between God and humankind operates, and the implications of that relationship for humanity's relationship with itself and with the natural world. Ultimately for me, That boils down to three key characteristics, the relational, the sanctifying, and the restorative. By relational, I mean the Christian understanding of who God is in God's own being. The fundamental Christian understanding of God is as Trinity, a single Godhead of one substance and being, whose three persons are co-eternal and co-extant, of equal majesty and glory. The three persons of the Godhead coexist in a relational unity of love. The nature of this unity is not exclusive but invitational, one which seeks to engage others in relationship as well as invite them to live relationally with one another. That human beings are created in the likeness and image of God, is itself a call to order human life in relational, invitational, and inclusive terms. We are called to intentional engagement with each other, and with the non-human ecology of which we are a part. By sanctifying, I mean that our creation in the likeness and image of God vests all humans with an innate dignity that precedes and takes priority over all other considerations. Christian theology asserts that God brought and continues to bring creation into being as an act of love, whose product, the universe itself, is good in the eyes of God. This goodness is not about righteousness or moral standing, but about the worthiness of love which God ascribes to creation itself. That the whole of creation, including humanity, is deemed by God to be worthy of love, is a summons not only to relationship, but to relational forms that uphold and affirm the dignity which God bestows upon all through our creaturely existence. We are sanctified, made holy in the eyes of God, and are called to view one another with the same holiness with which God views creation itself. Finally, restorative refers to the final consummation of creation into the eternal life of God, to which Christian theology looks forward and in hope of which all Christians live. This restoration proceeds from the worthiness of love which God ascribes to creation, and God's determination that the brokenness of human nature shall not irredeemably alienate creation from God's love. Being vested with an ineradicable dignity by our creation in the likeness and image of God, and being called by that dignity to an intentional relationship of loving coexistence, Christians understand life itself to be not an inferior precursor to the real life of a hereafter, but a foreshadowing of the fullness of life that is to come with the consummation of all creation into the life of God. In other words, the here and now is part and parcel of the kingdom to come. The latter does not represent a replacement of the former with a better version of itself. Rather, it is the full and final realization of everything that has gone before. But what does any of this have to do with a Christian definition of work? Precisely that, these being my understandings of the core Christian articulation of who God is in God's own being, and the consequences which necessarily arise from that articulation, it follows that for me, Any definition of work in order to be Christian must proceed from these same understandings. Leaving aside any arguments about whether my understanding of Christian doctrine is correct, what I am spelling out here is the necessity for a Christian theology of work to proceed from a Christian definition of work. Without such a definition, all that Christian theology, more broadly speaking, can offer is a Christian ethic or critique of work, which, while not without its uses, is nonetheless insufficient. What then is my definition of work? Drawing both on my own understanding of the core Christian understanding of who God is, and the implications for human life which accordingly arise, as well as acknowledging the influences of the theologians whose work has been discussed in the previous episodes, let me offer the following definition of work from a Christian perspective. Work is human activity which seeks to meet the practical and existential needs of humankind through the production or provision of certain goods, services and conditions in a manner which a. Facilitates the mutual, intentional, and relational coexistence of human individuals and societies, as well as the human species with the non-human ecology. B. Upholds and affirms the innate dignity of every human person, as well as the integrity of the non-human ecology. And C. Enables the flourishing of both human life, and the non-human ecology, such flourishing being the foreshadowing of the ultimate fulfillment of all creation in the eternal life of God. This definition, I believe, covers the three key criteria developed by Wolf, Jensen, and Cosden. The instrumental nature of work is acknowledged by describing work's orientation toward the fulfillment of human need, through the production or provision of goods, services, or conditions, what Wolf would call states of affairs. The dimension of relational obligation appears through the tying together of human interrelationship with humanity's relationship to the non-human environment. The ontological nature of work is implicit in its description as human activity, as distinct from the activity of creation as a whole, as well as the broadening of the instrumental definition to cover existential as well as practical needs. Moreover, I believe this definition addresses the relational, sanctifying, and restorative characteristics which I understand lie at the heart of Christianity's core theology of God through conditions A to C. These conditions qualify the instrumental nature of work, relate the need of any human individual or group to the needs of others and the non-human ecology, and describe the dynamic tension between work's various dimensions. But they also ultimately draw human work back to the work of God and who Christians understand God is in God's own being. Human work is part of humanity's response to God, as well as part of God's work of bringing creation into its ultimate fulfilment. Therefore, in order for an activity to be properly worked from the Christian perspective, it must address both our relationship with God and our relationship with each other and creation. It must articulate and give form to God's declaration that creation is good, and humankind worthy of love, and it must point toward God's unfolding act of creation and the purposive underpinnings which God has built into the very fabric of being itself. As I have said elsewhere, activity which lack these elements may be toil or labor, but from the Christian perspective, it is not work. Finally, do I think this definition of work understood from the Christian perspective, is comprehensive and all-encompassing? Absolutely not. As I said earlier, no definition of work can be anything more than, at best, provisional and conditional. It will most certainly be inadequate. But I do think the definition of work which I have provided here forms a useful starting point for the exploration of faith, work, theology and economics, which is this podcast's raison d'être. How adequate you, the listener, find it, or more positively, how much you are able to build upon and expand it, will, I suspect, be very much a matter of individual experience. And so now we come to the end of our exploration of the question, what is work? We have drawn upon the work of some key theologians who have thought about work from the Christian perspective, and from that work have drawn some conclusions and constructed a definition of what a Christian understanding of work might look like. But before I go, just a few housekeeping matters. Firstly, if my voice has sounded a bit raspy and nasal, that's because I'm presently fighting off the tail end of a head cold that has had its claws into me for the better part of a week. My apologies if any wheeziness on my part has detracted from your listening experience. Secondly, if on the other hand the overall voice quality of this podcast is superior to that of earlier episodes, That's because I have experimented with new sound and recording options for this episode. Hopefully this will mean a better audio quality for listeners over the longer term. Thirdly, this will be the last podcast for a little while. I'm about to head off for a couple of weeks leave with my family, and when I return I no doubt will have an overflowing in-tray that will keep me occupied for some time thereafter but never fear I will return. But that, as they say, is that for now. I hope to have the pleasure of your company for my next podcast. In the meantime, I'm your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Ergasia, a podcast of work, faith, theology and economics. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.